Well, let's get into this because we've got a jam-packed show, and then I'm going to take a break to read issue seven, and then issue seven, we're going to bring old <laughs> dust bucket chumps of fat in as well. Oh, really? So, uh, what a good day. That's awesome. Yeah, so. Uh, just before we get into it, I got to say, Jeff, I love what you just said, which I think is referring to Django. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dust bucket chumps of fat. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I don't think it makes sense, but thank you. It's fucking savage, though. <laughs> thank God he's got a thick skin because yeah, yeah. That would like ruin a motherfucker if they knew that you just casually, you know, good old dust bucket chunks of fat. Quarantine. It's so good to be here with my great, great buddies, and they have just assured me that it is episode what, Roman? Uh, Bat kick ass. Right, which translates to 32 <laughs> in the sort of dementia-ridden brain of our uh, stalwart <laughs> captain, Roman Statler. As always, I am Jeff. I am Justin, and I am a face-eaten flamingo peak freak in the sh- streets, baby. <laughs> a lot of... That was hard to get out there, but I'm excited. Uh, uh, Captain Ahab, I don't know. <laughs> oh, my guy spent too much time on the boat, and he's he's got uh, too much of that, uh, that thing brain. where you need fruit. He's got boat brain. Which is ah, the white whale, she came for me, boys. <laughs> the ancient mariner. Guys, we're here to talk about Batman and Robin number six. This is episode 32. However, at some point in the episodes, I started saying the wrong episode number, and it caused a problem while I was editing things like last week. It was very difficult for me. A cool thing has happened. If I mess up uploading a podcast now, we get a couple emails from people we know and total strangers that the podcast isn't working. So that is uh, an awesome sign. Please, everyone, let me know if a podcast I upload doesn't work because I'm uploading like five or six of them at a time some weeks now. And it's a, you can push the wrong button now and again. So I need that help. I appreciate all of you who wrote in to help me about that. Batman and Robin number six, Revenge of the Red Hood. I cannot t- wait. We'll, we'll sort of go through the issue quick because I want to talk about Cody Walker's thoughts on it. And we've got a couple emails to get to. So let's let's get right into it, my, my brave knights. Uh, this issue is sort of the climax of the Flamingo arc. He's arrived on his airplane. At the end of the last issue, he had shot somebody. Well, let's not, let's not split hairs about it. This is mostly a battle sequence between Flamingo, Jason Todd and Scarlet, and Batman and Robin. This whole arc is, like, very action-orientated. Yes. In my mind, I thought this whole book is more of a detective story. And I guess, like, largely it is. You know, there's capers within capers. But this is just, like, fucking action, bro. It's fucking action, bro, for sure. And um, (laughs) I, you know, that we had this whole first third of the story, which was, I think, very rooted in, like, mystery and illusion and implication and continuity. And these first two arcs of batman and robin are a much more surface level story not that there is not mystery in it like the Oberon sexton mystery which i love we've got el penitente who we get the first sort of shot of dabados dabados oh, i forgot about that but this really it does 
it does build, you know, I, I keep thinking like, okay, once we get to like issue nine or 10, that's when it starts to do the staggered return of Bruce Wayne stuff. So I'm, I'm very excited to get there. We're letting the bat build. We're letting that bat build up. But so it's mostly a, a bat battle the whole time that climaxes with a bunch of rubble getting dumped on Flamingo by Jason Todd as they're fighting. Clutch. He, clutch. he tries to rip <laughs> off the face of Scarlet and Scarlet kind of... Not clutch. Not clutch. Backs at him a little bit, gets some knife in his jugular, and he's thrown into the ground, maybe to never be heard from again. And then the cops show up, take Jason away, Scarlet escapes, and then we get a mysterious two pages at the end that I'm very excited to talk to you about um, to finish that sentence. There's this quote or this idea that I've recently come by on the internet that how you play the game is what you win. So in the mm. ways in which you approach a thing is how what you'll win what you'll get out of it. Yeah. So like prioritizing method over over result, you know, because okay. your result is proportional to the method you use. And in that metaphor, how Flamingo plays the game is what he wins. Like he he is brutal and fucked up and does dirty things, and his death or potential death is fucked up like they like motherfuckers get savage on flamingo and i was like man he's bad but this whole issue is just brutal and gross it's brutal and and gross exemplified by the scene where like he almost tears off scarlet's face that poor scarlet girl man she has had a really really bad like four weeks but i do like that the end of a really bad four what a bummer of a month i've had with me like, killing my dad and my face getting <laughs> taken away and put a new face on several different people i made a villain out of batman who is genuinely a good dude i think yeah who like tried to save me and you know before that her life didn't seem very good it's like yeah it was really bad until these last four weeks where it got like inhumanly unsufferably bad i did uh-huh. dig that she at the end of this escapes in their sort of mobile headquarters and driving out of Gotham and just right about the time she gets out of Gotham seems like the glue melts from her face, the mask comes off and she's able to have a new beginning in her life. And I thought that was a really cool thing. It happens right at the city limits of Gotham, which just kind of provides this implication for like, what is Gotham? In that gate, you know, the threshold. Yeah. Um, she gets to escape. Yeah. Gotham. I've said this to Django and I'm sure to you guys at some point, and I say it to uh, my good buddy Josh quite a bit that I think it's kind of closer to hell than anywhere else on earth. Mm-hmm. And it just like has a, it's has kind of a, a gravity towards evil people. Like evil people are inherently drawn to, cause like who would ever fucking live in Gotham? It's gotta right. be some kind of supernatural curse where when you go in, you don't get out. Who and is the still world, there? <laughs> right. The world just like, makes you bad and makes you live in this crime economy and pretty soon you cannot see a way out because uh you know earthquakes you know joker is literally like massacring people He's almost fishing every people every couple of weeks yeah on the old joker fish which is similar to the night mariners sockeye slap <laughs> yeah and then if that's not bad enough you have dudes like the flamingo coming in you know from out of town just to say what's up so let's talk about the flamingo because i love the character design I wish this artist and the artist who did this arc portrayed him a little bit more like the cover to the issue, which is just like the yeah. purple rain cover. Cause I would, I wanted a little bit more pink vibe. Yeah. yeah or Prince. Rather. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, he's a beautifully flamboyant character. And I feel like kind of his whole shtick is it like his weird psychotic flamboyancy. 
And Philip Tan's art does not give way to that, like doesn't honor that character very well. Right. No, there's a, some scenes where like, especially his face, he looks like a, another, he looks kind of like a penguin with the, the pointy teeth and the weird face. And yeah, it doesn't match the, the covers at all. Yeah, that just a slightly more violent, you know, penguin essentially. And yeah. the other bummer is that he doesn't talk much. Like we didn't get much personality from him. And maybe that's the point is he's just a psychotic face eating guy, but I would have liked that. to to be around him a little bit more. Yeah, I would have liked to see some more examples of him living up to his visual theme somehow. I don't even know exactly how, but I would have liked to have seen it. Like the character is written in that he's suffered a horrible brain damage, so he's just kind of this like husk of violence. And I feel like Grant Morrison conceived him that way with the idea of like quietly would be able to carry the character's gravity and impact through the like how visually stunning he is and mm -hmm. how just utterly out of a different world this character is. And I really feel like uh, I, I don't know how this like how Philip Tan got on these issues specifically, but his style kind of flattens. Like I think so much of the character is spoken through his looks. Yeah. And the art kind of flattens the character. And I feel like we got a little bit cheated of the flamingo. Like I feel like he is a really unique Grant Morrison-esque, like only Grant Morrison could conceive of him. And he's kind of a special character, I think, but. And the buildup is like pretty brutal and like evocative. Like the buildup to him is pretty great. You know, like the right. scene of the airplane with all the blood and the faceless bodies, like it is a, like you're saying a great Grant Morrison character. And um, I wish there was a little bit more delivery there. And also to your point, I, I agree, I wonder, I have to think that Frank Quietly was maybe going to do more than the three issues. And I have to look at my timelines, but I, I know that he got pretty sick at some point or he had like some back pain, like some severe back pain. So he could only be like hunched over drawing for a certain period of time. And I kind of think it was around this time. So then he got kind of relegated to just doing covers because he couldn't keep up with the schedule. And then they just like, I don't know, bring me a Philip Tan or something. Who draws quick? I don't know. Yeah, I just, I feel like, you know, like a, a character that utilizes color a little bit better might have helped this whole. That's uh, a really good point. Flamingo thing. Um, though I still love him um, in yeah. the way that like, you know, you feel sorry for a, a mean junkyard dog. <laughs> Roman, what were your thoughts on this whole thing? I, I, I agree with you guys well, about Flamingo, you know, because I, I have a sense that and we kind of see this in the battle that maybe there's a, a definitely a S&M thing going on with this character, just the, the amount of punishment he takes. And you, I think he's human, but I guess. But yeah, I'm just kind of curious. I want to see him again somewhere. He can't he can't be dead. I totally agree. And speaking to the S&M quality here, um, I'll tell you about a line that didn't probably age super well is Damien saying, I was expecting scary, not gay, when talking yeah. about Flamingo. It's like, well-intentioned, Grant Morrison, but that one didn't age super well, I don't think. Yeah, though it still fits for Damien at this time period. I mean, he's been raised in such a cultural isolation tank. <laughs> yeah, I, it, like a hyper-masculine assassin lead. For sure. Yeah. I think he should have leaned into the being scary and gay. Would have been an awesome exploration for the Flamingo character, right? Like, I mean, I think yeah. that's kind of a little bit what he is, but yeah. I mean, he's talking shit. Yeah. Yeah. Talking shit. I, I really want Batman and Robin, the prequel, where we can get all these weird characters that kind of only exist in this run, a little more backstory. 
like a you know an issue just following Flamingo being fucked up wherever I forget where he's from and like how El Penedente operates in in Mexico. I think that's where they say that. That's yeah. From. Like I just want like more. I love these characters so much and they work so well as like you know a new era of Batman. But you know everyone just wants to see the Riddler Joker Two Face again. You know it would be cool to have a mini series prequel. Last week while you were on sabbatical hunting down butterflies in the Amazon. Mm -hmm. Roman had suggested a similar thing when we had the guests on, which was like, it would be so awesome if Morrison could just write a series of like the unexplored stories of Dick Grayson and, and Damien, mm -hmm. because you know, Morrison has said those are the story. Like that was the part he could have written a lot more of. And it was his favorite part to write, which is, uh, I would love that. I'm glad Justin That's said so that as well. Cool. That's so fucking cool. Like, yeah, this run starts off not feeling like it, but it's such a linear story like it's a story it's not so much a run that's just coming up as it goes like it has a fixed ending in sight that we're moving towards i i really and while it's big and awesome i really wish that there was a little more time just to kind of like you know i'm sure they were pushing for the big climactic end of this because they're like come on this guy's been writing this for seven years or whatever but i really wish there was more time to kind of fuck around and just be a it's comic very run for a while tight it's like a really tight, you know, tweet three issues at a time, ex you know, exactly. Like it's, there really isn't room for much fat on any of these issues, um, especially at this point, which is, you know, it's probably good and bad, but yeah, I totally agree. I would love a little bit more fat, just time to chew on, uh, you know, Flamingo. I wouldn't mind chewing yeah. on a Flamingo, like a face. Yeah, like this whole, this whole issue. I mean, yeah, it's a cool battle and all, but. I had I had to I mean and it's just a typical size issue it wasn't long or anything but I had right. to kind of nudge myself to pay attention during some of it and that's how I am with action sequences kind of all the time they you know it's it's hard and it's hard to remember that Morrison all of his dialogue in general is a little bit more meaningful in my mind than maybe other writers so like when there's an action sequence here and there's also dialogue Sometimes in other books, I'll sort of like try and skim through that dialogue, but his is oftentimes a little bit more meaningful, I would say. I just think there's a lot of overtones between Jason and Dick here and through those conversations that even while it is a, this fight scene, it is still meaningful statements that, that especially like here at the end with Jason talking about, you know, just remember tonight I did the thing that Batman never could. I beat my arch enemy you know, things like that, these statements that are really kind of definitively divide him from the other people and are kind of these big moral statements. But in the midst of an action issue, I can kind of just put my glasses on and ignore those. Yeah, I, I, re I actually read this issue twice um, just because I, after the first time, I felt like, did I miss something? Plus, plus, I have to say, a big distracting thing for me in this issue is is the art. I couldn't figure out where they were. So first I thought they were in an alley, but at one point Batman gets thrown off a building and yeah. it's a whole large cityscape below him. And I'm like, what the hell? But there's yeah. a semi on top of this building, apparently. <laughs> well, I hate to beat a dead horse, but you know who would never let that happen? <laughs> Good old Frank Quietly. I was yeah, just going to say. Please, yeah, Justin, yeah. Sorry. Oh, that I just like, I have been on the record as like, I'll admit it, I love action. Like, I just like action in books. I, Only when I, there's a good bat thigh. Just oh, yeah. <laughs> gotta give me that dick, yeah, I got to get that Dick Grayson thigh. But, like, I think that action can be symbolic of character and it's kinetic storytelling. That being said, that action scenes can be done poorly. Like, 
hard to follow. Body transition doesn't make a lot of sense. And I feel like, you know, offense, Philip Tanwell, you're really good at like dark shadowy landscapes and Bruce looking intimidating there. I felt like the flow of this action scene was hard to follow. And yeah, they were in an alleyway. And then all of a sudden they're in like this giant construction project that's maybe like, you know, demolished buildings. Yeah. How did we get there? I can, I can believe that the alleyway led to a, a lower part of Gotham where there's undeveloped buildings and shit. Yeah, that's kind of my that. read. But yeah, you're right. And, and there's one scene that looks like, to me, there's a tank in the background. <laughs> where Scarlet's yeah. laying there bleeding. I'm like, that looks like a fucking tank. I don't know it's, what else that could be. It's a bizarre, it's a bizarre-ass scene. And honestly, the background art looks so rushed. It, and it looks like, yeah, it looks like almost like two people did art in this at times. So it's interesting. A, high, a point worth mentioning is that Damien gets really damaged in this and he's paralyzed. And then Talia's goons show up to take him away, which is a big part of the next arc. He's not around because he is having his it's spine replaced. Yeah. Okay, but I want to talk about the final three pages of this. The th- third to the end shows Oberyn Sexton getting a phone call from El Penitente on the bed in Oberyn Sexton's room. It says gruesome slaying of uh, Cardinal, which we had heard earlier, like right upon his, uh, or maybe it was the, like, the first couple issues of Batman Robin, that a Cardinal who was a member of the Black Glove had been murdered. And that's kind of the case that Oberyn Sexton is on the search for. And that's then- the guy that is hang- hanging upside down in the alleyway and the gargoyle is torturing him when Batman and Robin show up. It was at the end of R.I.P. And that's when it shows up and it's like Batman and Robin never die or whatever. That's that guy. Okay. And then we have El Penitente, who we see for the first time here, and he's definitely self-flagellating, you know, a la the Da Vinci Code. But it is kind of carving a W into his back. And he says something to the effect of, uh, I have unfinished business and scores to settle. And he says... The eyes and ears of El Penitente are everywhere. Your sins have found you out, quote-unquote, grave digger. So the relationship between Oberyn Sexton and El Penitente is furthered here. Did anybody, like, El Penitente, we don't know who he is. We don't? I thought I did. Yeah, well, yeah. that's my question. Is I, <laughs> I know that I did because of having read this book. Did you guys, I mean, trying to go back to the first time I read this, is it clearly who we think it is? Or do you think there's a lot of room for ambiguity about who that is? I think this scene is supposed to sh- like say it's, it's, it's this person. If you, if you didn't know, now you know. So spoilers, let's just say who it is. Roman? Dr. Hurt. Dr. Hurt. El Penitente <laughs> seems to be whipping himself. Like and, uh, and I think the big thing that gives that away is that he seems to have Thomas Wayne's mask on. The sort of... Yeah. Yeah, you only see him, thing. Yeah, you only see him from above and from behind, but yeah, you can see the points of the mask and who else would be w like whipping a W into their back? <laughs> yeah. Wayne! So- Wayne! <laughs> it's so fucking no, it's, weird. It's, no, it's for Wingman. Oh, yeah, right. Wingman! <laughs> Wingman! <laughs> uh, it's so weird. It's so weird. But Dr. Hurt, like, he made this whole theme and villainous persona around penance and, like, paying for his own sins because he like failed to kill batman there's some like deep fucked up freudian love of pain and yeah. punishment in there he's letting yeah. the punishment fit the crime the freak at some yeah. point i would love for us to re or watch grant morrison's talking with gods the documentary because it's oh, been a long I time since it. i watched it and just do a conversation about it in this podcast feed because yeah like bondage 
Morrison loves a BDSM club. Like he talks <laughs> he about cross-dressing and going to like BDSM clubs. And I'm especially like during the writing of the invisibles and I get it. And I'm just pro kink. And I love his sort of a willingness to make everything kind of sexy bondage when it needs to be, or just, I kind of always assume that there's some Freudian level of sexual repression in all people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And that, that would be a fascinating to talk about too. I mean, the one Morrison series I've never understood is the filth. <laughs> and I want to understand it. One of my first memories of Roman is trying to like gauge how much of a Grant Morrison fan he was. And like, I had the same conversation with Roman, like the first three times I talked to him about Grant Morrison was about the filth. <laughs> I love all this stuff, but the filth, I just, I could never, <laughs> never, I've never finished it. it. I would love no. to finish it. <laughs> But, yeah. I read the little part about metaphors that Jeff made me read in the store one time, and I love, and that's about as far as I get. Every oh, time. wow. I don't even remember what? that part like the, of the book. Weird little intro to the hardcover. There's like a, like a diagram, and it's talking about metaphor in a really cool way, and then like being alive and shit. And you're like, Justin, you have to read this. And he like opened up the hardcover. Was cover. I right? Was it a yeah. good one? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's good. really so, good. That's my, like, I think if you can boil down Morrison into like, I don't know. If you read those sentences, you can tell what kind of Plato Morrison's playing with. The final two pages wow. of this show the Bat Bunker downtown and a hobbled Batman with his mask off going through the, the guttery alleys, finding a sealed vault. It says, speak the password carefully. He says, Zer in R, walks into it, and then he sees what is the cover for the next issue, which so is a seemingly, you know, dead body of Batman uh, in a sarcophagus. But, and I addressed this earlier, Philip Tan draws Dick Grayson like Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm, yeah. And in these final two pages, unfortunately, as a youngster reading this, I was sure that this was Bruce. I, like, was I read, I read this now. as, <laughs> yeah, I read it as Bruce. It says Zurin R as the password, which to me didn't seem like a thing that Dick Grayson would know about. I'm just curious, what were, where were you guys at with that? Yeah, I was confused by it. I because at first I thought it was Bruce, and I realized that well, it's got to be Dick, and apparently he knows about Zuran R. But on the bottom of that page, when the the sarcophagus, when the chamber opens, I thought that it was opening, and we were seeing Bruce's face because that's a face that's much uh, oh thick, thicker and heavier than Dick's face. Yeah, you would expect. And then the next, you turn the page, and you saw, oh no, there's there's Batman in the lane there. And that's Dick looking at him. Okay. <laughs> and I, I just sort of, in my, I think some of the beautiful twisted fantasy, to quote Kanye West, um, of this original run is like, you know, not knowing what was going to happen and also kind of not knowing exactly what had happened immediately before it. There was this really fun, like, is this Bruce? And like, what is this? Or did Dick know Bruce was down here? Is he alive? Is he hiding? We know Tim Drake is out looking for him. And I, just, I really liked that mystery but this time and, and after checking in with cody walker it seems you know like more definitively dick i'm curious justin did you ever have did you always feel pretty certain that was dick yeah i and i feel like he has a zero and R, and this is my own telling myself a thing to make my narrative match but like that dick was also kidnapped on that planet or whatever that thing was where robin once where that dick grayson was an integral part of where that word came from in that issue mm. robin dies at dawn so he would, ha he would have some knowledge of that word and its significance. Okay. And my understanding is this is Br Bruce's body from Final Crisis. Right. And Superman, like, here, guys, you know, do 
bury him or whatever and dick secretly put him under there because dick is like i'm gonna try to revive him and alfred would be like no 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 i don't think so and that is all i think exactly correct especially like you know superman does bring up his body exhumed from bloodhaven at the end of final crisis and it's just i think that like my younger less experienced brain was just like oh that's gotta be bruce because it doesn't look like dick and i think now that i've experienced a lot more comics it just seems like yeah sometimes arts are inconsistent and you know people maybe didn't get a memo or something i think that like bruce wayne and dick grayson kind of look similar in general hair color both like supposed to be masculine and handsome the only difference in my mind is like dick is maybe shorter and like leaner you know and maybe a little prettier like bruce is a little more classically manly but this he draws dick grayson with a very broad face and so he looks more like bruce philip tan and I don't want to push anything forward too quick, just in the interest of time, since I have a couple things I want to show here, and then we have some emails I'd love to get to. Cody Walker, Roman, did you check in with Cody at all about these the Grayson Foils? He's got a whole chapter called The Grayson Foils. No, I haven't. I, I kind of forgot. <laughs> yeah, not, not a bad thing to do. Cody Walker has unpacked a lot for the metaphor of just the red hood. And then Jason continually uses the phrase, like the red right hand of vengeance on these cards. And so I just want to share some of them. And again, I think that's why Morrison is great is I do think a lot of his stuff is metaphor. And I don't think you can ever tell someone like, nope, you're wrong because like things can mean other things. And maybe, maybe Morrison did have that idea in the back of his head, but dude unpacks a lot. So I want to just uh, first here, well, he actually goes into a thing at first about just being caught red-handed, which refers to criminals being caught in the act, and the Red Hood catches the villain lightning button act of sealing money and is you know, promptly executed. The phrase, vengeance arms against his red right hand, is from John Milton's Paradise Lost, and it's spoken by the demon Belial um, in reference to God's vengeance against hell if they went to war, and Belial and other demons come up later in Batman and Robin. Furthermore, Christ sits at the right hand of God, and therefore the red right hand could very well be a representation of Christ the Redeemer, a more than likely in the case of Jason Todd, the Antichrist. He also says, in addition to <laughs> this was the part where in addition, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds have a song called Red Right Hand, released in 1994, you know, in Dumb and Dumber, the red right hand. Yeah. And which he says, he talks about how the lyrics apply to that as well, but then he also says the song captures the mystery of the Red Hood while building a certain mystique. And Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds is a perfect band for Batman, given that Batman operates out of a cave and Jason Todd is a bad seed in the Bat family. I'm like, I think that Cody just likes Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And he's just yeah, like, yeah, he just want to put him in there. Found a way for like, you know, for me to say like, oh no, this is how Tool is related to, you know, the later parts of Batman and Robin. Um, <laughs> children play that. the game Red Hands, known as Slap Hands or Hot Hands, where one player puts his hands above the other. The Red Hood is perhaps considering his competition with Batman is nothing more than a game. Finally, the red hand is given an ironic meaning, which considering that since 2002, every February 12th has been Red Hand Day, which according to the official Red Hand website, is a worldwide initiative, initiative to stop child soldiers like Professor Pig and his transformation of Dolatrons. Red Hood's interactions with Scarlet are meant to mirror Dick and Damien's relationship, which is probably true. Oh man, but there is... Oh, and then one other line that I missed that I just, to sum up, you know, a number of these things that I like that we didn't talk about. When Dick and Damien are talking on the 
on the gargoyles and they've got the hoods and dick says to damien like hey a hood is not a great thing because it can make you blind cody says that like that's kind of a metaphorical talk about the red hood being so dogmatic or one-minded that he doesn't have this ability to see outside of things and that one actually i was like oh i could see morrison writing for that anyway i just thought it was kind of hilarious that was me abbreviating like two pages of <laughs> you know metaphorical extrapolation for just the red hood red right hand vengeance children and i was like cody get it did, did cody did cody include uh hellboys big right big red right now no. <laughs> he must not read hellboy yeah <laughs> I feel like Cody's metaphorical hot sauce. He, you know, sometimes he's pretty good with it, but sometimes he shouldn't go that extra dab that he puts on there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, well then everything just connects with everything. Yeah. yeah I, I do love that Nick, Nick Cave song. It's a great song. And it, you know what it does. I can hear that as a soundtrack to this whole three issue arc. Like it's just like that song is in the movie dumb and dumber. And for whatever reason, that song used to like scare the shit out of me, even in this like comedy movie where he's, you know, playing in it it's yeah it's 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 a thing okay before we get into the emails sorry to rush us but is there anything else any other thoughts anything to unpack no i'm just um, sad that flamingo seemed a little anticlimactic and i don't know you know if that was intentional or if you know just morrison didn't have enough time to play with that evil bird a little bit more yeah I, yeah i do want to see him come back but i only want grant morrison to write him i mean maybe tom king could do it but that's true. I could probably know. do some crazy PTSD thing with him. Yeah, yeah. So maybe those two, but anybody else, I don't want anybody else to write him. <laughs> All right. So I, we had a really cool uh, email from Chris Murphy, who has sent us a handful of emails. And just from time constraints, we haven't been able to read all of them. But I want to get this one to you guys because um, it's a little bit more manageable size and we'll be able to get it in here. But he says, hello, Jeff, Justin, Roman, and Django. Again, hey, thank Chris. you for writing in. And yeah, that's you. the crew. Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> and if anybody else wants to write in, it's batmaninquarantine at gmail.com. We've gotten more than I expected, so maybe we'll even do like an email show at some point. But uh, thanks for your review and analysis of Final Crisis. As always, it was great fun. I'm glad because we did that over a year ago at this point in a very different time of our lives, and that one got away from us. But I'm not sure who first coined the term comic book limbo, but we're all aware that it's the conceptual imaginary space where unused characters dwell. You may also be aware that the concept of limbo as its own distinct little corner of no space, no time in the DCU did not originate in Final Crisis Superman Beyond. It was introduced in 1990 by Grant Morrison. Animal Man 24 and 25 find Buddy Baker trekking through the eerie space of limbo as he seeks a way to save his murdered family. As he passes through the gate, he is greeted by Merriman, who's the jester-looking guy from the Final Crisis Superman Beyond issues, who explains the lack of dynamics of the space. The concept of limbo is used in the same effect in Animal Man as it is in Final Crisis, as a statement of the potency of story. But further, the appearance in Animal Man demonstrates the love Morrison has for these characters and tales as a source of wonder, optimism, and resilience. As Grant, who literally wrote himself into the story, says of the characters in Limbo, I care. It's stupid. I know, but I care. All the things you meant, all the things that meant so much when we were young, under the blankets late at night, listening to long distance radio, all those things lost now or broken. Can you remember? Can you remember that feeling? In the next issue, Grant holds these wonderful, inspiring, silly stories up against the largely grim and gritty comic scene of the time. We thought that by, quote, we thought that by making the comics world more violent, we would make it more realistic, more adult. God help us if that is what it means. Maybe, for once, we could try to be kind. 
So as the hyper theme of Final Crisis emerged, a story about the power of story, it is apt that Grant should reintroduce Limbo. It should not be poo-pooed as being self-referential or self-indulgent. Rather, it should be celebrated as capital S story, vibrating with the positive char charge of hope and goodness. Many thanks, Chris Murphy, Bennington, Vermont. Chris, I like where you're coming wow. at with that stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm, oh, glad yeah. That, I'm glad that you get out of Final Crisis the same thing that kind of we get out of Final Crisis, which is it is a story about the power of story. And the best, oh, like, absolute, uh, just a super well done version of that. Like, there, there's that in lots of stuff. And Grant Morrison, like, committed an entire, like, event to that idea. And uh, so good. And, uh, yeah, Chris, I really like that comment about it. Yeah, Chris, I like where your head's at with this stuff and, uh, you know, keep sending in your thoughts. And we'll read as many of them as we have time for. Really grateful for everyone who does it, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Th thank you for that. And that I love, too. I love that, too, about Morrison's Limbo. And I remember when I first read that issue and Mary Man shows up, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> the Inferior Five. This is awesome. Yeah, in, in prep for that big Final Crisis thing we did a year ago, I did learn that it had come around through his Animal Man run. There's such a sweet, like, it's all the weird, wobbly-wookie, metaphysical, far-out things that Grant Morrison does. There's just such a, and I think this is probably why all of us and Chris like him so much is there's such a deep personal, just sweetheartness to all of his stories at the very root. Like you can have all these holographic le levels of things that he's doing about story and with story and from a technical perspective or an exploratory perspective but at the very core. It's always just kind of about how story should be inspiring and bringing us to a, like a, our better nature. And that's a, yeah. I love that. There's a great a point. I never see somebody being like, yeah, Morrison's my favorite writer. And then they're a dick, you know? Right. <laughs> I think that if you really like Morrison's stories, a lot of it kind of boils down to this naivete or reverence for the past or reverence for what has brought us happiness and how to, you know, bring that into the future and, and deference for, for story and superhero. I, yeah. It's a good point, Justin. Yeah. And it's, and it's a, and I think it's the same thing um, as Kirby had where at the core of it to, to even boil down what Justin said, even, even more is a sense of wonder. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I think Grant Morrison, you know, is our, our living reincarnated Kirby in so many ways, especially totally in agree. the final crisis mode. Um, mm, so yeah. it's really nice to have like someone who's at the base of it. Like, no, I'm just trying to like help people. We've got another email that I'm incredibly excited to get to. This is uh, from a Joshua Kinney who is going to be on the, the podcast at some point, um, a long old friend of Justin's who's been mentioned on the podcast. I had the pleasure of getting to live in the same town with him and hang out with him often uh, for a couple of years there before he moved away. This is from a little while ago, like a couple of weeks ago. So I will, uh, some of it's going to be kind of dated to the time where we're at right now. It's hard to fit emails into these 40-minute discussions that are only supposed to be 20-minute discussions. But um, So from Josh Kinney, hey, you beautiful bat people. Some time ago, I asked the big person upstairs for a perfect Batman podcast. Not only a perfect podcast, but the, per <laughs> but the perfect Batcast for an individual with a degree in bat batamological detectivology and Robinomics <laughs> such as myself. My perspective of a spiritually inhabited universe irre irre irreversibly shifted when my prayers were answered. Forgive me, Josh is very intelligent, and I'm reading these for the first time on my phone. The mission, sta the mission statement, 
cast and format of the project is a symphony of esoteric nerddom. My experience with the run of 70 plus issues rhymes with that of Justin and Jeff to the nth degree, which makes sense. This run was in full heart heat when Justin and I made psychic organ contact with all that is Jeff. I will turn off my gush gauge at this point because this letter was not meant to be a review. My glittering review is hopefully posted on the podcast page itself, which everyone should do. Instead, I had a few questions and comments I wanted to share. Keep up the good work, and I cannot wait for the next episode every day. Uh, in episode 655, issue 655, there's a mention of French airline disaster where 350 people lost their lives. I wonder if this is at some, some sort of clue, especially considering what befalls Miss Jet. We know Grant is going to kill Batman from the outset because life seems to be going well for Bruce for what might be the first time. I treasure his relationship with Tim in the beginning of the run. This is most evident when Tim asks about his new Batmobile and Bruce grins. She isn't ready yet. Love this father-son moment. This is an especially poignant touch because Damien impetuously tears off the sheet, concealing the car the first moment he is able. Excellent contrast between Tim and Damien. Good point, Josh. I noticed Katie Kane or Kate Kane is mentioned every or very early on um, when Alfred is listing Bruce's failed attempts at love and happiness. That's very nice. Jeff, as a fellow Tim file Drakehead, were you upset when Damien beat Tim upon their first meeting? I honestly put down the book for a while because I was so offended back in the day. I've heard I've heard Justin talk about you guys responding to that. On one level, I was stomping my feet, but on a deeper level, I realized Tim was being primped to exit stage left as Robin and I was afraid he would never rise as high and well we all saw new 52 tim that's a good point everybody in the silver age issue robin dies at dawn this is the thing we've gotten the most emails about why do you believe <laughs> and i don't know what you're saying but that single issue is why do you believe the author chose to name a doctor administering a covert dangerous isolation experiment for the government dr hurt was this the longest comic con conspiracy in the history of mankind dan brown style that's two, that's two Da Vinci Code references today. Did that author engineer oh, the phenomenon we know is Grant Morrison? Roman, I was bummed about the Tim thing as Justin was also. Yeah, oh yeah. Roman, at one point you wondered after the origins of Tim Drake's red costume. I believe the red ensemble first appeared in the animated series after Tim Drake took up the mantle. In the comic oh. series, Tim switched to Crimson in issue 148 through the end of the series. Damn it, I love all of you people who know this stuff. <laughs> Jeff, do you get a demon... Uh, a demi oh jeff do you get a demi devamon vibe from batmite are you enjoying the remake of digimon uh <laughs> josh thank you there is a super strong demi devamon vibe there i love digimon as justin also does and we oftentimes you know compare ourselves to that i think that uh josh and i both fall more in the tie category where we are needed to be accompanied by our best friend justin who's clearly a matt um that was my input, not Josh's. Am I enjoying the remake of Digimon? I've only watched the first three episodes, and that was at the end, the beginning of Pandemic, and I did really like them, but I have a harder time with subtitled things. Roman, would you like to see Aunt Agatha have a larger role in the series? All we know of her thus far is her culinary acumen. Does that make sense to you? It does. And I, w- <laughs> I would. I want to see a whole Aunt Agatha Brave and Bold series. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea. Me neither. In the digitally animated prose <laughs> issue, the Joker is listing naturally occurring instances of hilarity, and an item on his docket are sombreros, which I think is an excellent tip of the hat to his actions in R.I.P. Jeff and Django, would you read another issue in this format? I would read another issue in that format, but I would probably let it sit on my counter for like two months longer than I was supposed to, and then finally read it and realize I was an idiot for not having read it earlier. Roman, would you like to see Bruce and company go back to the city and set up shop in Wayne Tower? That is one of my favorite eras of Batman as well. Do you like the tree that grew from the center of the building back in the day? 
Oh, I love that tree. That was such a cool design. You know, I, I prefer the Batcave, but I, what I'd really like to, for him to have both. Yeah. To just be totally, just use your riches and be extravagant and, and terrible and have two giant secret headquarters. To quote Liar or Dumb and Dumber again, both of them. And finally, <laughs> Justin, is Grant Morrison your favorite Joker writer? If so, where does Moore fit in? Dixon? King? Dixon? <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. Uh, he's in on it, like in the Da Vinci Code. They're all in on it. Morrison, hands down, favorite Joker writer. Um, then probably more, though. More just gets too close to, like, you know, like, the fact that, like, uh, Ted Bundy lived in Washington. It's just a little too close to the real nasty, gross. Like, Joker's a little too human for me. Okay, you know, that's a good like, point. When he shows up and shoots Barbara Gordon and take like that's all too close to like nasty people doing nasty things in this nasty real world. Um, but that's the real still, heart of the issue, Justin. Where does Chuck Dixon fall? Man, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I maybe it, it, in a, a sense to protect such a perfect memory is my first time reading Chuck Dixon's Joker. I don't know if I remember a Chuck Dixon Joker story at all. I don't think he shows up in the Nightwing run that I most. Uh, you know, no Chuck sticks and work from. And Tom King, I don't think he had enough time to play with the Joker as well. He's very good in that one issue that might just be a dream. And he's mainly just good because it uh, shows the dynamic. But uh, yeah, Grant Morrison's Joker, far and away, favorite. So, Mr. Mueller, thank you so much for your continued emails. I've got a couple there that we haven't read yet. We have a couple more from other folks. Andrew Carlson, Nathan Butcher, who wrote emails in that asked questions that I think were dealt with in some subsequent episodes or clarified. So, if I haven't read your question, it is not at all a judgment of your question. It is more a reflection of the time that we have. And if, since I know these episodes come out and then we've usually recorded like a week or two ahead of that. I kind of know if they get answered in subsequent conversations. So please keep writing your emails. If they don't get read or anything, again, it is only a shortcoming of my end. And, and what you all are doing is amazing. Josh, that was amazing. Anytime anyone wants to do a round robin of questions like that, I'm so fucking on board and I cannot wait to have you on it again. You're a fantastic <coughs> soldier of the bat. So thank you uh, for doing that. That was a very successful kind of our biggest email drop yet guys yeah that was that was a fantastic email and i and i love the robinomics yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can't wait to have him on the show or maybe maybe even chris one day um if we could learn who he is uh but yeah that was we're gonna have to have tom hanks on the show now too well we gotta get tom hanks on. him and <laughs> silas as they could flash away <laughs> yeah. one another um yeah really a huge thanks to everyone who's written in and we do want to get to these Nathan Butcher had a good question. The visual aspect of Zuran R seeding throughout the run, if he can't see it on the back computer, wouldn't that also mean that he hadn't been seeing it on the graffiti, the Zuran R quote? If that's the case, what was the point of it? Or to the contrary, if we were supposed to believe that only Bruce was seeing it in his mind and it has actually said something else, then how did the, he see it um, now? Or was there some recent occurrence that caused him to see the static on the back computer? Maybe the stab wounds that made him susceptible to psychic attacks? And I didn't read that one because I think that you answered it yourself right there, which I th we mentioned a couple days later, which I think he was susceptible to the psychic attack because of the stab wound that had poison laced on it from the sewer fight. Mm, um, right. Dang it, if I don't love all of these people, <laughs> holy goodness gracious. Yeah, that's uh, a great question. 
guys, thank you so much for being with us. We, in all, in all honesty, so everyone knows, uh, it's been a really busy couple of weeks. We're kind of behind on getting a front load of these episodes. So I think we're going to try and move into another one right after this so that we can get these things without missing huge weeks. Um, but thank you all for listening. And uh, I'm really excited to see everybody in the next three-issue arc of Batman next week. We'll start with Batman and Robin number seven. Roman, Justin, thank you. Oh, yeah. It's great to be here. And thanks, everybody. I love, I love the emails. Yeah. Th- thank, thanks, you, thanks to you guys. Thanks, everybody. I, we got people thanks from that. Vermont. I can't believe it. Yeah, We're um, nationwide. We're nationwide. We, I got a, a message from somebody. Apparently, the Batman quarantine email wasn't working. So I'm going to spell it as B-A-T-M-A-N-I-N-Q-U-A-R-A-N-T-I-N-E at gmail.com. So just like it's spelled Batman in quarantine at gmail.com, it is kind of a weird one. So if it doesn't work, send it a couple times. Um, And if you just cannot get an email in, send it to jeff at thecomicsplace.com. And that will also go to my email and we'll see if something's going wrong with there. But um, yeah, as always, thank you guys. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Justin and Roman, I am Jeff and we'll see you all next week for Batman and Robin number seven. 